Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, I invite you to turn to the book of 2 John in your copy of God's Word. We're going to be, uh, we're still in the short little study through the book of 2 John. Started it last week and we're going to be ending it this week. Just two short weeks in it. Last week, if you remember, uh, while you're turning there, giving you just a, a brief recap. Last week, we just looked at the first three verses and how it really starts and, and establishes this theme of truth and love. How our truth needs to be rooted in love and our love needs to be rooted in truth and they need one another. They can't go without one another or else they lose what they are. And so, truth and love. Well, today we're going to be finishing our study in Second John, like I said, and with a particular focus on, as Shelley already mentioned in her children's message, with a particular focus on being a godly community. Being a godly community with one another. And so, with that said, let me read the text. We're going to read all of it. The whole book. All 13 verses. And then we're going to walk specifically through verses 4 through 13 and see what it has to say about community. Being a church that God would be proud of. This is, this is what the Word of God says. Starting in verse 1, the book of Second John. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh... Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper or ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Community. And the importance of it. I, uh, I've talked a number of times about how growing up my family um, was a foster family bringing in 
Uh, and we just were fortunate enough to have that opportunity to, to be there for children and need and various circumstances. And uh, there's this one young lady, she's 11 years old, that she came and stayed with us for some time. And uh, her time at home, not our home, uh, was... One in which she didn't receive much instruction or guidance, much nurture or affection. She wasn't trained really in anything. And so when she came to us, she really was lacking in a, in a lot of instruction on, on how to do basic things in life that, that most kids should be afforded the opportunity to be able to, uh, to do those things. All kids should have that opportunity. And so she didn't. And we were able to pour into her and and one day she had to leave and um and i remember how heartbroken she was in fact just screaming and crying not wanting to leave the house and um but it was out of our power had to happen and she left but she didn't want to because she loved the nurture and the kindness that she received it was so foreign to her she she loved the the instruction on, on basic household chores. She, she loved being a part of the family. She, she loved belonging. And when I, when I have that picture, how much she loved that, I think about how I want the church to be for people. Just wanting to be there and not wanting to leave the community. Just... I want really Emmanuel Baptist Church. That's where my heart just beats. And I think we already are in so many ways. But I want our church to always be a Christian community that has that kind of effect on people. Where, where people are challenged, right? Challenge is good. Where people are challenged. Where people are also encouraged and, and built up. Where people come to faith and they grow in their faith. And where people on the outside or in the surrounding community would be blessed by our existence and by our service to them. That's, that's what I want. Oh, I want that for our church. And I see it already in so many ways. And I just say, I want more of that. I want us to be even more of that all the time. So how do we be such a community. How can we live that out? Well, luckily, the New Testament epistles, those are the books, the letters written in the New Testament, including Second John, the one that we just read, they were written to churches like you and I, church families, communities. They were written to them for guidance on what it takes to be that kind of church, to be that kind of community. And so we can read those even 2,000 years later, and glean insights from God on this is what I want my people to do and to look like. And so I want us to do that today. To see what kind of community God wants in His church. Four things, really. If we're going to be following the example that John gives to this church family, four things that we should do or are to do when we are in godly community. Firstly, in community we celebrate one another. 
We celebrate one another. And we see that in verse 4, right off the bat. He says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Now, I was thinking today, okay, what are some sources of joy for me? Like, what, what things would get me to say those words, I rejoiced greatly? And a lot of my answers were very me-focused. I don't know about you, if, if you're going to answer that question. It's very me-focused. My work, I, I really love what I do. Or, or my family, oh, I love to come home and my son comes running to me. And I get on my hands and knees and I hug him, right? I just, oh, that just brings me so much joy. But it's still me focused, my family or, or my work or, or my hobbies. When I can just get out away from everyone else and just put some headphones in and do what I love to do, these things bring me joy, right? Those aren't bad things. But, man, John and, and Paul and other New Testament writer. When you look at their answers to what brings them joy, it's not me-focused answers. Rather, it's very church-focused answered answers. And I'm like, thanks a lot, Paul. Really, way to make me feel terrible. But it's, it's just there. It's, it's evident. That's what brings them joy. They rejoice and they celebrate in the community. Let's look at a few passages. You don't have to flip there. We'll look at them too quickly, but you'll see them on the screen. But, but Paul was filled with joy when people joined the church. That's what brought him joy. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I give thanks. So he's rejoicing here. Why? I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. So just think about Paul's example here. Paul rejoiced greatly. Not because of a personal hobby that he's able to enjoy that week. Not because he had a day off and it was all to himself. The kids were gone. No. He was rejoicing or he was giving thanks because he saw the church growing. He was like, man, that's what I love. That's what I want. Another example in Philippians chapter 1, he was filled with joy when the church was working together. They're unified. He says, I thank my God, again, in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. This is how much he thinks about it and dwells on it and loves it. Making my prayers with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. These kinds of things are what brings Paul joy. And then in the letter we just read at the very end of the letter, what made his joy complete? To see the church in person. In 2 John verse 12, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper or ink. Instead, I hope to come to you, talk face-to-face, talk face-to-face, so that our joy may be complete. These kinds of things bring him joy. It's church-focused. And to jump up to the present verse in verse 4, here we see that he is filled with joy when their faith is evident in their lifestyle. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Can you do some honest reflection with me? Does it bring you great joy when you see other people growing in their faith? I, I don't always think about it that way. But that's what we are to do and what we're to be like. Are, are Christian brothers and sisters being successful or growing in their faith? These kinds of things should be a source of celebration and joy for you and I. It's true with the global church. 
It's true with the global church, not just right here, Emmanuel Baptist Church, but I'm talking the church in Vietnam, the church in China, the church in Brazil, right? A win for them is a win for us. So we rejoice greatly when we see them growing exponentially. That's why we, tonight, we're going to pray for the persecuted church, the underground church. We're going to gather here in just a few hours and pray for that. Why? Because a win for them is a win for us, and so we're going to pray for them. That's why next month we're going to go and give a week of our time to serve a church in St. Louis. No personal dividends for Emmanuel Baptist Church, but a win for them is a win for us, and we rejoice greatly when they win. That's why we give so much money each year to missionaries, instead of just using it for Emmanuel Baptist Church, right, through Lottie Moon or Annie Armstrong. It's because we rejoice greatly when they're benefited. It's why we give to a church plant in Utah, and maybe you didn't even know that, that we give money to a church plant in Utah, led by Chase and Gavin Roberts. Why? Why? There's so much here to do at Emmanuel. We rejoice greatly when, when they're blessed, when they're benefited. Community means we celebrate one another, and not just community as in the Global Church, capital C, but even like Emmanuel Baptist Church, okay? Just small understanding of church. A win for an individual is a win for the family, right? So baptisms, we celebrate. Oh, we celebrate with that person, for them, it's their salvation, but for us, it's a celebration. For a sobriety anniversary, it might not affect me practically in my daily life, but for you to be one year sober, ten years sober, I'm going to rejoice greatly because in community, we celebrate one another. To see somebody have a, a sense to a call of become a missionary, we're going to rejoice. To see somebody finish life well and celebrating them, even in a funeral service, because they lived a life well lived. Community means we celebrate one another. That's what God wants for His community. The second thing, though, is not just that we celebrate one another, but also that in community we care for one another. We celebrate one another and we care for one another. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning. Love one another. So we celebrate one another, but we, we care for one another. We love each other. And now, don't do it now, but in 1 John, we just walked through 1 John, 1 John chapter 2 Verses 7 and 8, he basically says that exact same sentence word for word. I hear pages turn, like, I got to do it, I got <laughs> to go see. But it's true, he says basically that exact same thing. And so um, you can go back on the podcast and hear what exactly this means, and we're not going to go in depth right now about that sentence, but rather just to see a call to love one another in community. We're called to love one another in community. What's that look like, right? I mean, there's easy answers. What's it mean to love? Well, I'm going to help you out when you have a task. Right? When somebody calls and says, hey, Isaac, you got five minutes. Could you come and help me real quick at my house? Yeah, absolutely. 
Or you just call and you say, man, I'm having a really hard day. To be a shoulder, to cry on, that's what it means to love one another, right? And we care for one another. To defend, to protect, to stand up for somebody when you see them in need. These kinds of things are easy ways that we can love one another. Now there's also, there's bad answers of what it means to love one another. Don't you know that's true? Bad ideas of what it looks like to love today. We talked a lot about that last week. John here says, he kind of gives us an answer, what's it mean to love? He says, to love one another in community is to follow the Word of God for the sake of the person next to you. That's what he, love is expressed by the Word of God being followed. That's verse 6. So he says, I told you a new command to love one another. Verse 6, this is love. That we walk according to His commandments. And this is his commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So the Bible dictates what love is. You hear that? That's vital to hear. The Bible dictates what love is. Love is only to be in truth, and if it's not in truth, if it's not led by the Word of God, then it's, as Romans 1 would say, passion that's dishonorable. Some emotion that's dishonorable. But it's not love. If love is unhitched from the truth or from the Bible, it's faux love. It's fake love. And he's making the same point here. Love must be in line with the Word of God and not opposed to it. And so, I want to I make this practical for you. I, wa- I want you to think about, okay, I'm to love one another, communities to be caring for one another, and love is to follow the Word of God and to trust what it says about love. Let's get rubber to the road, okay? Let's think practically here. How do I love then according to the Word of God? Well, if agreeing with someone or affirming someone's lifestyle or supporting a decision they're making doing any of those things would require you to go against the Word of God, that is not love anymore. You track with me? If agreeing with somebody, whatever their stance is, if agreeing with them would require you to reject Scripture, you're not loving them by affirming or agreeing with them. In the same way, if affirming a certain lifestyle would require you to deny the Word of God, then affirming their lifestyle would not be loving to them. If supporting somebody's decision, whatever that decision might be, would require you to go against the Word of God, then supporting that decision is not loving. And now here, look. Eyes up here. I need you to hear this. That's not always easy. In fact, a lot of the times it's, it's really hard. And I'd be the first to say that. Okay, I'm just the messenger. I'm not the one that has got it all figured out and just do this well. For me, when I have to have a hard conversation to say, hey, I can't, I can't attend your wedding. 
or I can't do this, or I can't do that. I've got a pit in my stomach. But what else, what else am I to do if Scripture dictates what love is? Right? And so I'm not exempt from the discomfort that comes with that. Yet we all have to embrace that discomfort, right? If we're to love according to Scripture, it can be so hard. And in fact, it can even sometimes damage the relationship between you and that person, can't it? If you know what that's like, I know what that's like. That's hard. That's hard. So why would we make such a firm stand on what love is? That love is dictated by Scripture. Well, John says why we should always love with our Bible in hand. Never put the Bible behind our backs and forget about it, but always have the Bible right in front of us when we love. Why is that so vital? Because deceivers are among us. Verse 7. This is love that we should walk according to God's commandment, right? Hold the Bible in our hand. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. That's why it's so important to love with Bible in hand. If the Bible doesn't guide our acts of love, there are plenty of voices who would gladly lead you in what love looks like. They would gladly lead you and inform you in what they think love should look like. There's many deceivers, and so hold that Bible when you decide what love is and what it looks like in a situation. A community as a church is meant to celebrate one another, care for one another biblically. Thirdly, in community, we protect one another. We celebrate, we care, we protect one another. That's what the church is meant to do for one another, specifically in matters of truth. Let me read verses 7 through 11 again. We protect each other in matters of truth. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh, just as one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes out on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in The teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring the teaching, do not receive him into the house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, 10 and 11, that's where a lot of questions come up, right? That's where a lot of questions come up. We're supposed to be welcoming we're supposed to eat with tax collectors and, and Gentiles and prostitutes, all right? We're supposed to follow the model of Christ. So what is John talking about here that we're not even to welcome into our house to, to greet them? What is he talking about to watch ourselves? In community, we are to protect one another. Now, it's important to know who John is talking about here, okay? You have to know who John is talking about here. And that's in verse 7. This is who is on John's mind. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such a one, that person, is a deceiver 
and the Antichrist. Okay, this is who John has in his mind. So we're not talking here about someone who's seeking faith, genuinely trying to figure this whole thing out. They're interested and they're just needing a lot of guidance. That's not on John's mind right now, right? That's not who John's talking about. He's not talking about someone that is even teaching the wrong thing on a secondary issue. He's not talking about somebody that's got it a little wrong here and there about these little things. The person John's talking about is a person that is actively promoting dangerous and deadly beliefs. The proper term for that would be heresy. That's the deadly teaching. And heretic, the person that teaches it. Now, that word gets thrown around all the time, doesn't it? You know what I'm talking about? Somebody's not a heretic if you just disagree with them. I think a lot of people need to hear that. Heretic or heresy is applicable when it's a deadly belief that will jeopardize salvation. It's salvation on the line. It's a gospel issue. And when that's the case, and that person is promoting it and pushing it, that's a heretic. That's just the proper use of the word. This particular heresy that is being promoted, verse 7, is they don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now, that could mean a couple things. Both being heresy. Could mean that they reject Jesus' past coming. like 2,000 years ago, that He came in the flesh and human nature, His physical form. And that makes salvation impossible. If He didn't come in physical form as a human, living and breathing, then He didn't die for your sins and my sins. So if they're rejecting that past coming of Jesus, you have no salvation. It might be rejecting the coming of Jesus yet to come. There was a teaching in the early church that was saying that Jesus had already come and we've all missed it. If you're a nerd like me, it's called hyperpreterism. If you want to look it up, like, oh, what's that mean? It's heresy. It's, it goes against the gospel that Christ is yet to come and to establish His church to redeem all things into newness, to restore all things into back into order. So either way, whether it's rejecting the past coming or the future coming of Christ in the flesh, it's in conflict with the core beliefs of our faith and it changes the foundation of our faith. So that's who John's talking about here. With that person in mind. With that person in mind. He says, verse 8, protect yourself. Watch yourselves. Verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Protect yourself from such a person. Okay, so all belief matters. All beliefs matter. Because all truth matters, right? So every kind of belief matters. But some truths matter more than others to get right. Okay? All truth matters. But some truths matter more to get right. 
You can afford to be wrong when it comes to war versus pacifism. Okay? There's going to be people in eternity that got that one wrong. You can be wrong about even alcohol consumption. Can you have a sip? Can you not? People are going to be in eternity who got that argument wrong. You can afford to be wrong about who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's a bunch of things that you can be wrong about. But if it's spiritual life and death, you can't afford to get that wrong. It's a core belief that you cannot get wrong about Christ. It affects your eternal salvation. Verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ, they do not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The teachings of Christ, that is the teaching of Christ being who He says He was in verse 7. In the flesh. If you reject that or any other gospel central belief, it's life and death. In such a situation, run from the teachings that jeopardize your eternal salvation. So He says, protect yourselves. And protect your family, your church family. That's both your physical family and your church family. Verses 10 and 11. This is when it gets hairy, isn't it? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Let's take the two commands one at a time just very quickly. He says, firstly, don't welcome him into your house. Ouch, right? Why would John say that? Why would John say that? Well, we need a little bit of context here. This time when evangelists would travel around and go throughout cities preaching, they would need housing. They would need someone to take them in while they were there for their short time before they moved on to the next town. And oftentimes, Christians provided that. In fact, if we, when we go to 3 John next week, we're going to see that John's saying, when there's a person traveling around teaching good theology, bring them in and you provide for them and you send them off blessed. Okay? This was the regular routine of Christianity. We are to be hospitality or hospitality. We're supposed to be hospitable. We're supposed to be people of hospitality. I've <laughs> been talking too much today. And so he says, don't greet this person or don't welcome them into your house. We have to know that context that when they're traveling around, we normally would welcome them in and, and house them. What John is saying here is don't help them in their efforts. Don't support them. Don't aid or enable them in their ministry. It's a false ministry that affects people's salvations. Don't support that guy. Give you a, give you an analogy. Whenever I was um, in youth group, we went on a missions trip, and uh, and I was, man, I remember this so vividly. I was standing in the hallway, and uh, around the corner, down the hallway, two boys came running down the hallway uh, from the church, and. They're in my youth group, Chris and Drew. Chris is running from Drew, and I think they're just like playing tag or something. I don't know. 
And so I grab Chris and so that Drew can tag him. I just thought I was, they were just playing a game. And I thought it was fun. Come to find out, they were, they were not playing. Drew was very mad at Chris. And Drew, when he gets to Chris, because I'm holding Chris, he punches him so hard in the gut. And, and, and Chris is just bent over, out of breath, wheezing in pain. And I let go, eyes wide, like, oh, I had no idea what was happening. Youth pastor comes running around the corner, and I'm in trouble. And he brings me out of the room and just lays into me. I'm like, I couldn't even get out yet that I didn't even know what was happening. And yet I helped Drew in hurting Chris. Didn't even know that I was, but I did. John is saying here, there's wolves that are trying to attack the sheep. There are people here that are teaching deadly theology. Don't help them out. Don't help them get the sheep. Don't help them hurt the flock. Don't help them. Don't bring them in and house them and put them up and send them off with blessings so that they continue deceiving people. Don't welcome them into your house. And don't even greet them, he says. The context here, again, the word to greet was used oftentimes to affirm some having like a Christian fellowship with them. That's why in verse 13 he says, the sister church greets you. Or greet them with a holy kiss. John is saying here, don't join with them and don't affirm their ministry. Don't endorse them. And so in doing this, we protect one another. We protect one another from bad teachings. Go very quickly on this last one. In community, we gather with one another in person. Firstly, we celebrate, we care for, we protect. Lastly, we gather with one another. Verses 12 and 13, the last bit. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you, talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister greet you. This has been under attack in recent years. What I'm about to say, but living out the full extent of biblical community requires a physical, spatial component. It does. It does, and don't believe a person that says that's not true. You can do it online. We've had difficulties with that, right, with COVID. Perfect example. And yet we make it work. Having a parking lot service. You guys remember that? Remember what I'm talking about? We make it work. Roped off pews, spreading out, masks, whatever we have to do, but we need to gather when we can. Still today, it's, COVID has passed, but still today, there are some who don't have transportation to gather on Sunday morning. And so we make it work, right, with bus ministry, bringing people every single week. And there are those who are shut in and are sick and they can't come and attend, even if they had transportation. And so we make it work. Like Paul, we write letters, but when we can, we make a point to visit them in person Gathering together physically matters. 
I think there's a lesson here that voluntarily removing yourself from the gathering when you're able to join is what one to reject the community that God wants for you, but two is to really miss out on the blessing it can be in your life. This is what community is to look like. We are to celebrate one another. We are to care for one another, support one another. We're to protect one another. We're to gather with one another. And in doing so, live out what God has for us. So, I'm going to finish with this. There are some who, today, some here may not have that kind of faith community. You're like, yeah, that sounds foreign to me. Sounds foreign to to have people that want to celebrate me rather than compete with me. That's foreign. To have people that have my best interest in mind and will care for me, and in fact would even protect me, and even putting themselves in an uncomfortable situation in protection for me, that's foreign. I don't have that kind of community. That people want to gather with me and see me and spend time with me, I don't have that kind of community. And yet you just happen to attend here today. You can have that kind of community here. We want that kind of community at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Everyone needs community. More specifically, everyone needs the church. Where we can be built up and loved and encouraged and told the gospel regularly. Pointed to Jesus. And so, if you don't have that kind of church family... We would love to be that church family. And everyone that is a part of Emmanuel, let's invest. Let's pour into one another and be what God wants us to be. Amen. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.